All right. Well, I want to... Uh, I don't really know how to open this sermon. I hate to say that. You know, a pastor should come prepared. But um, if you want to turn in Second Chronicles around chapters 22 through 24, we, we won't read all that, but, but that's about where we'll be jumping back and forth a little bit of the story. Um, chapter, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so Second Chronicles chapter 22, 23, 24, around there, those chapters. They're long. <clears throat> you know... Uh, I had some thoughts during worship that uh, through church history, especially, you know, in the last, say, uh, three decades, maybe four decades uh, or better, uh, maybe since the start of the, uh, the Pentecostal revival in the early 1900s, uh, you know, a lot of church terminology develops. It doesn't come from Scripture, but we, we use that. And um, there's a lot of times I'm called to task about things I may say in a service because the way you present something may give a different way than your heart meant it. You know, and we get ourselves always caught in that, right? And if you speak as a part of your, as if your ministry is speaking, then you're going to get that problem more often. Some things that I, I feel like maybe as a church we've... Um, not done justice to church. I, I, the heart in it was right and the teaching, but saying, you know, we're not here for emotionalism. And, and so during, you know, the 80s especially and a lot of big charismatic movements really popping up and going and a lot of crazy stuff, people barking in the spirit. We've talked about that, stuff that's not scripturally backed up, but doing those things. Um, I myself growing up around that, I have a, I had a wall. You know, I've told you about being in uh, youth evangelists coming up and they're trying to push people over and I would just get the football stance, you know, like, you're, you know, God's the only one that pushed me over, but you're, I get defiant, which I think was the right thing to do. But, but, but we throw up these walls where we're trying to make sure we're protecting ourselves, you know, from anything that's not right. But in that, I fear that sometimes we jump too far the other way to where we, we give the church as a whole this fear, like when we talk about emotionalism. And I hit on that a little earlier about... Um, letting the Holy Spirit soften our hearts and about weeping before the Lord. And, and, and automatically in myself, I have this popped up, it's like, well, we're not trying to push emotion. And I have this little discourse that happens in my mind, you know, that I don't want to lead, lead you all folks, you know, towards something that's just an emotional experience. But, but I think sometimes we worry so much about trying to protect against the things that are not the Holy Spirit that we distinguish, or we, we extinguish, sorry, wrong word, extinguish, the emotion the Holy Spirit's trying to bring because sometimes that's the only thing that breaks through the hard shell on our hearts. You know, in the nat- what we call the natural, if you lose a loved one and you break down and cry, we go to funerals. Why? The person in the casket don't matter for them. It's so that we can deal with the emotions. We can say goodbye and we have closure. It's, there's some emotional things that God's created us that those things have a benefit. And the same thing when sin is creeping in or pride or what, you know, pride, which sin, you know, there's sins creeping in and we may not know it and it begins to taint our life and we begin to just get hardened and, and go that direction. Then before you know it, um, things have gotten in the way of the Holy Spirit breaking us and we throw a wall up and it happens. It happened for the Pharisees, it happened for religious leaders um, before Jesus' time, after, it still happens today. And it, it ties a little bit into the message today because I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Joash. And I did preach a sermon on this, um, I think 2014, and I think I called it Almost Revival. I think it's still in the notes today, but Almost Revival. And, and the story of Joash really is, you know, um, again, God never really intended for us to have earthly kings. 
He meant for us to have judges, to be able to decide disputes, right? Godly men who would judge. And God always wanted to be our king. But men demanded, and when, when the people of, of God saw other countries having kings, they wanted that for themselves. They wanted a leader they could see, talk to, complain to, somebody that was right there and present. Same problem we have today. God, why can't you just drop down in a cloud and tell me what to do? And again, Jesus came down in front of us and they killed him for it. So, you know, God's saying, hey, we've done that once before. It doesn't really work like you think it will. And so there's a desire to have this king. And so then you get through the kings and Ananian Chronicles and you've got all these guys. They did, they did horrible in the sight of God. They did evil in the sight of God and removed them from power. You got this back and forth. So we got this line of kings. But keep in mind, Jesus, the Messiah, is to come from the line of King David. So there can't be a break Right? You can't have a king in there that has no heir to the throne because it's already been prophesied, right? The Messiah will come from the line of David. And so what we find is in this whole mess of kings, God having to deal with kings, um, Josiah's dad was one that had to be dealt with too. But the problem is his grandma, his grandma was an evil woman. And she really wanted to rule herself. So when, when Joash's father passed away, and it was, it was because God had to take him out. It was, again, we, hit, we talked about Ahab and others, and Jezebel, I mean, all this stuff. And so um, as you're reading through chapters 22 and 23, 24, you get this whole uh, story and dialogue of this dynamic of always having to try, God trying to raise up that king to fulfill the promise, but then evil's coming against it, right? Same thing as when you pastor or when you're an evangelist or you're a worship leader or you're a Sunday school teacher or whatever you are, as soon as you begin to do the Lord's work, the enemy is not going to just leave you alone. He has to form an attack. This is a spiritual battle. If you're going to influence the lives of small children back in children's church, he's going to come against you because why would he leave you alone? And so Joash, and there is another, uh, there's two names, there's it's a different tribes, there's Israel and there's Judah, but but don't get confused. Joash is the one we're talking about that's from the line of Judah. So, from the tribe of Judah. So anyway, um, what happens is, I'm trying to wrap the story up, you know, and condense it so we can get into some meat here. But, but there's so many lessons to learn from this. But what happens is, so the grandmother decides when her son is killed, the king, that she wants to remain in power. And it says there was no one strong enough to basically take the throne at the time. And Joash is very young, Josh. So um, a, another uh, daughter of the fallen king, our sister, I'm sorry, takes Joash and hides him with a priest and his wife in the temple. And he basically is raised up because age seven is where he can take the throne. So he's raised up. They keep him hidden. So for six years, they're basically hiding him. Now, the interesting thing about this story in parallel to the story of Jesus is when there is a Messiah... The, the Messiah is the only one that can be a priest and a king. Otherwise, everywhere else you have a priest and then you have a king. But a Messiah is the only one. And the interesting thing about Joash that kind of foreshadows Jesus is that, number one, the re revelation of his importance and his heir of the throne came through the mother first. Just like Mary, when she received word that she'd be giving birth to baby Jesus. Um, there, there's so many, we could go down, there's so many parallels. Like this really is a precursor to Jesus and you're seeing the story. Written separately keep in mind so historically written separately but but you see the common thread going through the word of god that when you read it and you're thinking i don't understand all this this king and this and that just know that the whole story from the time of genesis in the beginning 
God has been working to restore his relationship with his people because sin has entered. And because of this whole thing with kings, he knows his people needs a godly king. And the whole struggle is fighting the enemy to finally raise up a godly king. And Joash gets raised by this priest, a good godly man. He's one of the priests that actually is doing what he should do and loves the Lord. And there's a whole bunch more dialogue to this. They, they find the, the word of the Lord, you know, in the temple. And, and, but there's a whole bunch of idol worship. You know, Baal or Baal is what they say, I guess, and uh, the, the Jewish folks actually say that's how you pronounce it, Baal. But anyway, the Baal worship, uh, the Asherah poles, all these things that were been set up uh, in a time when everybody was, was by the grandmother was being pushed to worship other things and do other things. So it become an evil place people evil you know kings are getting killed but it's by god's hand through through the evil going on to try to restore and so josh is hidden and then there comes a time when finally joash is seven and the priest makes a contract with some of the key military leaders and says hey we're going to take all the weapons we still have from king david that are hidden and we're going to surround the place at a certain point and i'm going to crown him king we're going to anoint him king joash so so literally, when the grandmother finds out this going, she tries to run into the temple courts and basically is like, treason, you're, you're a traitor, you're a traitor. And, and tells them to arrest, but in, instead they arrest her and they're going to kill her right there. And they're like, not in the temple courts. So they take her away and she gets killed or she gets put to death. And so it says that there's actually some peace that day after she's gone. So it gives you a backdrop. Joash comes in as a very young boy, seven years old as king, He's been raised by a priest, a godly, godly man who wants to see the people worship the true God again. And Joash is also seeing that during the temple worship of Baal, that they took pieces of the temple wall away. This is 101 years since Solomon built the temple. And over the time of all this uh, idol worship, it's just like if all of a sudden we had uh, evil rulers in Centerton, okay? And they want us to worship other things. And they come by and say, hey, New Solomon Church, we're just going to take this part of your wall here because we need to build a different temple for a different God. We're just going to take this out of here. And, and so Joash, the little boy, as he's being raised hidden, because what happened is his grandmother had tried to kill all the heirs to the throne, anybody possible. She tried to kill her own, own family, own relatives. And, and so he was hidden out. And so they take this. So Joash is seeing the, the dilapidated which, which was, was a colossal, beautiful temple that there's, there's holes in the walls and it's broken. And, and he's seeing this and he's being raised by this godly man and he gets made king over the throne. And so he sees this. And Joash begins to put in place a plan to rebuild the walls, to, to, to correct what's been done. Now here's the interesting thing in the story. So as a foreshadowing of Messiah... You think, okay, he, he's on the right path. He's going to rebuild the temple. But part of the problem with Joash is what it says, all the high places, the places of idol worship, he didn't have them t- torn down. And here's an interesting part of this lesson is that I grew up thinking that every time things went wrong in my relationship with God is because I'd done something wrong. What I'm actually finding out is because I didn't do something right. That the things I do wrong often come stem from when I had the chance to do something right and I didn't do it. I'll give you an example. It's like when I was getting ready to go into ministry and leaving Bible school and finally graduating and someone offered to pay off my school loans and pride got a hold of me and I couldn't receive that. I said, I think God's going to help me pay off my own loans by working and making money. 
I had my focus wrong. And guess what that was? That was a 20-year wonder in the wilderness. You know, I could go example after example of, you know, sometimes we know that we're supposed to go and do something right, and it, it took me full circle. To finally, we were down in the dumps about all the loans we owned. All this time later, and finally, one simple prayer, God, we'll quit trying to pay this ourselves. You own the cow in Thousand Hills. You can take care of it. And so we'll go if you open the door, and we'll let you pay for it. And then, bam, things change. And next thing you know, we're in full-time ministry. God answers that way. And so Joash had this opportunity to tear down the high places and make sure this idol worship couldn't happen again. But instead he doesn't. He, he does focus on building the temple, and, and actually he sends out the priest we're talking about. He, he has him send out guys to go collect what Moses has set up. It's kind of like, it's not really a tithe, it's more like a levy, but it's to help pay for the worship place of worship. And so they reinstituted that, and he was supposed to send out the Levite priests, and they were supposed to go out and collect this. But some of them started using the money for their own purposes and found out the evil grandmother's sons, the one that had been put to death, her sons go in and start breaking in and stealing the stuff to help fund the worship. So he's fighting this still. But begins to, be, begins to rebuild. But then you fast forward and through, I think it was a hundred and, I'm trying to think of how many years it was that the priest died. It says that he did right in the eyes of the Lord through the life of that priest. But after the priest dies, then these advisors come to Joash who don't have the right heart, don't have a heart for God, and begin to advise him differently. And the son of the priest, the son of the priest who is now dead, comes to challenge the people and saying, you're doing wrong and eyes the Lord and he's going to judge you. And instead of Joash standing for what he was raised to believe by the priest, instead of standing for what he knows is right, he allows him by his order to put the son to death which ends up being what angers some enemies who end up taking Joash out. So how does this happen? How does this happen that, that a, a boy who, who was given so much, I mean, from his youth, he was put in the place of a godly man who was bringing up, he got to be trained like a priest and be brought up by a priest and in hiding, being protected and sheltered. He would have been dead and put into power, and evil for once was extinguished, and he had this opportunity. He was trying to bring back the word of the Lord. But in the end, he ends up turning back on what God had set up in his life. I want to switch gears a little bit here. In June of 1995, after years of planning and research costing multiple billions of dollars, the space shuttle Discovery was scheduled to launch for the first of seven missions, which would rendezvous with the Russian space station Mir in preparation for the launch of an international space station in 1997. The date had been carefully chosen, the weather conditions were favorable, but strange noises were coming from the launch pad uh, 39B. Upon investigation, technicians discovered about six dozen holes in the insulating covering of the main external fuel tank. All of the complex planning and high-priced preparation were useless as the mission ground, uh, it ground it to a halt because a family of woodpeckers decided that the space shuttle looked like a good place to live. Woodpeckers. Little woodpeckers. 
Billions of dollars, a whole powerful nation of planning, going into space, leaving the safety of Earth, going into space, this exploration, and simple woodpeckers could bring it to a halt. And it's just kind of indicative with Joash. It's, it's amazing how, of all the things he was doing, let's rebuild the temple. If they came in and, and, and leveled this place or tore it apart, we started to rebuild, and I'd be focused, like we're focused out there. And if all somebody, somebody said, oh, yeah, you know what? They just popped up another temple over in town uh, to a false god. I'd be like, well, we're, combat, we're combating that because we've got our thing going. But, but God's ways, which had been brought up through the people of Israel was to always tear down and remove anything that was of idol worship. That you had to remove it from the house. You had to totally get rid of it. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I believe in the church today, if, if you're one that's longing for revival, but you're looking for some other way for it to happen because you're praying, you think, why didn't it happen? You know, revival rarely ever comes, and I don't even know of a situation where it comes because of a leader or a shepherd bringing revival. It's always come from people who hungered and thirsted for enough, they begin to repent. They begin to repent of the things that have clouded them. Well, Pastor, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. What do you mean repent? I'm going to tell you that if revival is not happening, there is repentance that has to be made. If revival's not happening in your life, there is something you've allowed. It can be a bad attitude. It can be a way of thinking. It can be, it can be um, possessions. There could be a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you that this is not really rocket science like the discovery situation. It's really pretty simple. God's word has always been clear that the way he works in our lives is when we completely get rid of the things that keep us from him. And if you're dried up, feeling dead inside, and feeling like, there's been holes poked all in your relationship with him, then you have to ask yourself, am I too prideful to admit something has been poking holes in the relationship between me and the Lord? Is there something that's grounded the mission that he has set me out on? Joash, Joash couldn't see that. Joash was focused on one thing and one thing only, and, and, and it was ruling, which is what you think he needs to focus on, but, but at a certain point, if he was... If he came to the point that he could turn his back on the son of the man who raised him, who protected him, who shielded him, and brought him up in the ways of the Lord, and the one who anointed him king, because, what was it? He challenged them that they were doing evil on the side of the Lord, the people. And the king sided with them. It just shows how, no matter how much God has given us, sometimes it becomes very simple for us to turn our back on what God has done for us. An example, the children of Israel when they crossed over on dry land, running from Pharaoh. It doesn't take a whole lot of generations of them forgetting to tell their children what had been done and it being extinguished. There's a whole generation of folks right now who are not in church. The whole vision for New Song Pastor Jim had was, was this age group right here. Danny, how old are you? 29 tomorrow. It's not that we don't minister to all of age groups, but there was something specific God wanted, a mission that New Song wanted happened, and it takes all ages, and I'm going to tell you why. I never really saw this till you know, a few years into this, I started realizing, because, because you know, a lot of churches with younger people, they'll focus so much on younger people, they'll, they'll forget about the older generation. Or they'll focus so hard on the older generation that they lose the younger generation. 
But, but if we go back to Scripture, we see exactly how it's supposed to work. It was the older generation taking the younger generation under their wing and teaching them the things that God had done in their lives and bringing them up. Thus, discipleship is what makes or breaks a church. And discipleship isn't pastor formulating a, a uh, two-week or three-week course that you come and fill out a few forms, you know, and do some fill-in-the-blank, and we do that. Yes, I know that today that's what discipleship looks at, but it's not God's model, really. His model is that you and you and you and each of you take someone younger than you and you bring them up in the ways of the Lord, not just your own children, but as a church body. It's hard to hear. It challenges us. It makes us think, okay, now I feel guilty leaving church because I've got a busy schedule. Now pastor's telling me God takes somebody. I'm just telling you the truth. That's the truth. If you read God's word, you'll see it clearly. That's the model designed for the church, Old Testament and New Testament. The Timothys, Titus, all those. It's to bring them up, to, to raise them up, to have someone who you're bringing up in the ways of the Lord that you're teaching. We all have a teaching ministry because God has told us to disciple. That's teaching. So again, the question this morning is, why did such a perfect opportunity for revival slip away? What kept God from pouring out his blessing what did Joash do wrong? And the reason these questions are important to me is that I believe that we're in the same kind of time and, and really time repeats itself, but we're in a time that looks as if we could be on the brink of revival. I feel it. I felt the stirring. Other pastors have been talking about it. Even our leaders in the district say there's something going on. But listen, before we get too excited and say, oh, great, revival's coming, and we sit back and wait for it to happen. See, that's what normally happens when we talk about revival. Everybody says, okay, now I'm just watching and waiting. But, but here's the thing. In, in Joash's time, God would send, and all through Scripture, he had send people who would tell the truth, say, you've got to repent and turn from your ways, and revival came. That there is always those who would challenge the status quo and say, you can't keep just living and breathing and working and dying and marrying and drinking and doing all that stuff. And I'm talking about alcohol. I'm just saying living and feeding yourself the, the natural foods of this earth and not think that you've get, you should put the same energy, same effort, and same repetition that you feed your own physical body with the Word of God and then be giving it out. Brother Dennis isn't here. Everybody's got their own struggles. Brother Dennis has told me sometimes things that he struggles with. Um, we call him Willie T. He's in motorcycle ministry. Some of you have seen him in gray hair. looks a little like Willie Nelson. But, but the first time I met him, one of the things he told me, how his struggle with wanting to be hungry for the Word of God, he'd hear that, that Christianese, that, that language we use. Be hungry for the Word of God. What does that mean? I don't want to eat pages out of a book. I don't think paper tastes good. I know it's thin and easy to fold and maybe it would melt in your mouth. I don't know, but I don't really want to do that. What he said is I realized that hunger is developed through habit. Now, I'm going to get a little uncomfortable for, for a guy speaking, but it's like when my wife was feeding our twin boys and the nurse had to come in and say, you got to teach them to latch on. And the mother has this little fear when they start, don't start doing it right. I can see it in her eyes like, wait, why is he not? Why, why is he not latching on? Because, you know, you've got to eat to survive. And they know that God's created, created the body where there's other options to feed them, yes, but this is the preferred, at least for some, you know? 
And all of a sudden I realized, you know, I think food should just come naturally. I mean, I figure the way I eat, I probably came out just ready for a steak. My mom uh, used to bring me six in, uh, 12-inch sub sandwiches in fifth and sixth grade, and the teachers would gather around just to see if I'd really eat the whole thing. But the truth is, it's really not as natural as we think. It's a learned thing. Because a baby comes out knowing, my stomach needs something, but I've been hooked up. <laughs> now I'm not. I don't know how to use this thing. And see, we assume that the things of God, the spiritual things, because we grew up in church, that it just comes out easy, that we should just, why can't I get myself to read my Bible? Why can't? I? It's a learned thing. So back to Willie T. Dennis. He started reading his Bible every meal. He would not eat a meal without reading from his Bible. Until finally, physiologically, physically, his body, when he got hungry, he also wanted to read the Word of God. It's the only time I've heard anybody ever do that. And this is a guy who will sit there and tell you about all his struggles. And he won't mind telling you because him and Pam have been pretty open about it. You know, they've, they've laid cigarettes on the altar, picked them back up, laid them on the altar, picked them back up. And they, that's a struggle that they have. But I'm looking at him thinking, I need to do that to where I don't even eat until I read the Word of God. So, so Joe Ash, he was raised in it. He had every opportunity God had afforded him. He had been raised in church. He'd been raised by a pastor. And you think, man, that should be easy. And then, not only that, what every person who raises, who is a, a father, whether they're really biological or not, but raises a child up, what they hope is one day they'll go do greater things than themselves. And what greater than be a king over God's people? So even have that. But soon as that influence passed away, he lost it. Why? Because he was trying to live for the Lord vicariously through the one who raised him and not through the true hunger for the word of God that would last and that would help him to know what to do in times. He listened to the wrong people because he was easily influenced. In the story of Joash, four things seem to stand out as roadblocks to revival. And the first is having a follow-the-leader faith. Having a follow-the-leader faith where, where everything hinges on that leader. That my relationship with the Lord really stems from I've got a great pastor. And, and if I can find a great pastor, then my relationship with the Lord would be good. Does anybody really believe that? Maybe some of them are like, I never thought of that way, but maybe I am thinking that way. But I'm searching for a church where the pastor will will feed me to the point that I'll just arrive. I'll just grow. Do some churches do a great job in discipleship and bringing people up and the teaching of the Lord? Yes. But I went to a church of 10,000 people with one of the best pastors I've ever, and next to my dad, the best pastor I've ever had over me. And I hate to say that because Pastor Jim was awesome, but, but Pastor Lindell, at, at, when Jen and I met there and I was volunteering on, on their voluntary staff there with security, I got to hear so many conversations. What a great man. And, and we would go to small groups where people were growing and but there's a certain number of people where he had to stand up and say, hey, girls, you've got to quit dressing like you're coming in the club on Sunday morning because it's a distraction. Or, or I have one of the biggest contributors in the church, he didn't say it that way, but we, I knew it, who, who has not been living in sin, which he didn't explain all that, and we've gone to him just like Scripture says, and we're at the point now where we have to separate from him. So I'm asking this church of 10,000 people, do not eat with him, and do not fellowship with him, that maybe God will get a hold of him, that maybe things will get so desperate he'll turn one of the biggest contributors, somebody who'd been on the board, and he stood and did that. 
You see, you can, you can be going to a great church and you can love your pastor. That's great. I'll, I'll take all the love you know, you'll give me. But in the same aspect, my heart for you is that you don't just come here thinking that somehow I'm going uh, to grow and preach better and you're just going to grow too. It, it takes a, a, an intentional habitual forming you have to form the habit of being hungry for god's word so that you're not trying to live vicariously through someone else's relationship with the lord so that when the pressure comes on and that guy is not there anymore and i'm not leaving that i know of if the lord lets me stay but that guy leaves you're not left destitute boy i was on such a fringe when pastor jim died because I would never worship like I'd worship before. And God was working in me. He was doing stuff. And he had a call. He had a direction. He had a leadership position for me. Like Joash, he had a plan. And he's trying to shelter me and bring me up. But, I, but when Pastor Jim died, I felt lost. I said those words. I feel lost. I was going to another pastor, Pastor Longmate, for some mentoring. I didn't know why. God just told me at one point, And I told Pastor Jim. I think it hurt his feelings that Pastor Jim wasn't my mentor. But I said, hey, I don't know why, but I have to find somebody other than you about three months before Pastor Jim died. And now I know, because Pastor Longmate happens to have one of his specialties is he can minister to people in traumatic situations like my dad can in the hospital. He actually mentors young ministers on how to handle yourself, funerals, and he works at a funeral home too. God's wisdom, I mean, have put me with that man at a time when I was going to grieve one of the hardest times of grieving in my life. And I felt lost. And it wasn't until Pastor Longmate in one of our sessions after Pastor Jim died said, looked at me and said, CJ, you've been his armor bearer and it's obvious that there's a powerful connection God has created, but Pastor Jim doesn't need an armor bearer anymore. And I think you were with me then, Jen. It's like, you don't need an armor bearer anymore. He doesn't need him where he's at. And all of a sudden, the, the weight of that just lifted. And I began to cry and weep and just empty. And all of a sudden, I just felt like God's God's got something different now. I'm released. So all of God's plans for you, all his best laid plans, still hinge on. They still hinge on for you. He can always get someone else, all those kings that he replaced, he can get someone else and raise them up. But why let it be you that goes down for the enemy's sake? Why not be the one who says, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity God's given me. I'm not going to depend on someone else to grow me. I'm not going to worry about whether I have someone else to follow, but I'm going to just dig in and learn God's word and hide it in my heart that I won't sin against him. And when there is something that I need to do that's right, I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to tear down the idols. I'm going to repent. If I want revival, I'm going to tear those things down and get completely rid of them. I'm going to give no opportunity See, it was so easy for the people to go back and worshiping false idols because it hadn't been completely taken away. The second thing is neglecting or ignoring the strongholds, which I just covered, that we have to understand that there is strongholds in our life. You cannot live for the Lord. I'm going to tell you this. You cannot live for the Lord and not have the possibility of strongholds taking hold of you. We read about Job. Now, Job, we, we hear an awesome story about Job. He was faithful in God testing, but Job wasn't perfected in a perfected body yet, right? We only read about Jesus being perfect, so we know each of these men has their struggles. Everybody has the opportunity for strongholds to take hold. Uh, it, and we like to pick on the obvious ones. Maybe it's drinking, or it's smoking, or whatever that harms our body. Those are the old church, you know, top picks 
And then you get in pornography, all these Sometimes it can be just pride or, or seeking to advance yourself over God advancing in your life. There's so many forms of the strongholds that can come over, but all of them have one thing in common. Just like Abraham and Isaac, even if you love it, even if God gave it to you, it can separate you from God if you ever let it become more important to God. Even the things God has given you can become more important. And you ignore what God is trying to do. And God will go to great lengths to try to wake you up to the fact that nothing should be more important than Him. The third thing, surrender of the sacred. Surrender the sacred. sacred. Another part of this story is um, in... Uh, is about the time Haziel, king of Aram, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Jerusalem. But Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred objects dedicated by his fathers, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, and the king of, kings of Judah, and the gifts that he himself had dedicated, all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and he sent them to Hazel, king of Aram, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. He bought off his enemy to leave him alone with the things of God. He traded off those things in his life that God had put in there for him to serve, to use to serve him, and the people serve him, and he traded off to keep the enemy off instead of praying and asking God, take care of the enemy while I do your work. And I, I hear this in, in, in our realm today, and it takes the form of, Pastor CJ, I'd like to be more involved or I'd like to serve more to God or find my place, but you've got to understand I've got these bills, and so I'm going to work the two jobs, and I'm going to miss the assembling of the body of believers, and I'm going to do all this and, and keep myself separate. And, and somehow I think God's going to just honor that because I'm taking care of my family first, right? But, but I have to ask, where's your connection to him? Now, if you could tell me every day, man, I'm on my knees, I'm reading God's word in that time, and I'm going, then I might even, if, even though I know the word says not to forsake the assembly, I might say, well, you know, a season, because I'm like you. We tend to want to okay our brothers and sisters because we don't like the confrontation. Truth of the matter is, if you make God's kingdom first, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you make God's kingdom first, th- this is self-help uh, self a little bit for me, right? For a pastor, it's great if everybody's just engaged and in there. But listen, if I'm not your pastor, it's going to be the same thing, the same truth, whether you're hearing it at another church or not. If a pastor is missing that one, then chances are their church is struggling like a lot of them do where you can't get anybody to do anything because the truth of God's word is we're all here for a purpose. We all have a role. And listen, even though... This is not where we're headed here completely, but the idle, idle hands are a devil's workshop. I've seen it. We can, we can look through principles in the Word that back that up, but the truth is, is that when we have the opportunity to do something right, often the reason later we're doing something very wrong is because we become disoriented and bored with things of God. We don't see the purpose in it because we never push forward and sacrifice to do what He's called us to do. I'd end up living against God's word in my times running from him after I went to Bible college because, you know, all of a sudden one day I just ended up with a group of motorcyclists, you know, some bikers, and just running amok. It didn't just happen in a day. What happened is I had the opportunity when I was leaving Bible school on a bad term to go and pray and ask God to restore me and go back and finish then, and instead I took off and did my own thing. Instead I went in the Navy, which, you know, I may be thankful for that. God used it for good later. But it was a separation I didn't need at the time. What I needed to do is focus on the Lord and get myself back to the study and back to the training. 
and, and yield to the discipline of the school. And I didn't. I took off. And that lesson teaches over and over again, lifelong. Surrender of the sacred. And then last, lastly, ignoring the call to repentance. Second Chronicles 24, 19 through 22. Although the Lord sent prophets to be people to bring them back to him, although they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came to Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, Joash, by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple, the very place that God had raised him up to give him authority to rebuild that temple. He shed blood of a pro- one bringing a prophecy from the Lord, or bringing a correction. King Joash, it says, did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father, Jehoiada, had shown to him, but killed his son, who said as he lay dying, may the Lord see this and call you to account. He had brought the Lord's curse on him when he had had the Lord's blessing. And again, in fitting with last week's Last week's sermon, which I know is hard to hear. I know we do things different sometimes, and, and, it, and it may um, be unsettling, but the, thing, the truth is, is that as much as I love everyone here, including my family, I'll be fooling myself to say that we don't all have stuff that we need to repent of. I'll be fooling myself to, to think that it's not my responsibility to remind you what God's Word says. Yes, He's a God of grace and mercy and the new covenant, but he gave us the Old Testament for a reason because he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he is also a God of justice and judgment. And if this is, this is the telltale sign. If you don't feel the Spirit of God speaking and moving your life daily, there is something clouding the way. There is something. And I don't know, you know, we tend to look at the big bad stuff. What, what's going on? But listen, complacency can be enough. But there's something I'll tell you this, when we come into worship in here, and I forget for a moment that I'm a shepherd, I just get before my king, and I begin to worship and pray. I literally am begging God, God, every day, can we commune like this? When the music stops, when there's others not here encouraging me, can we do this again tomorrow and the next day? And then the natural, I think some of us think we've got to wait for the next church service because we think it takes music. We think it takes the environment. But the sweetest times, the sweetest times I have in the presence of the Lord is often not at service, but in a moment when I started to react badly. And I said, no, there's something right I need to do now. I get on my knees right there. Or I stop and I find a place and begin to cry out to him and let him break my heart. And then by the time I'm coming to service, that's why my parents can tell you, when you see me move around in service, it's not anything for show. I'm not, I just don't know what to do with myself. I really don't. There's something stirring inside me. I just don't know. I'm t- 6'1", 260 pounds. It's not real pretty when you start moving around too much. But I don't know what to do with myself. I'm just being transparent. I'm being transparent. God has been breaking my heart, just saying, 
I want this for all of your people. The people that I put you to lead, I want it all for your people. Will you remember that I brought you up in the priest's home? Will you remember that I did that for a time and when you finally got to put be put in place, it was to fill my purpose and that's to lead my people to worship and tear down every idol and everything that could hinder. And so I stand before you today and say, what is it that you need to tear down? I, I really, I feel like I'll be scaring some people to say, one day I think that God wants us all laying probably face down in here, crying out before him, not for show, not for uh, just emotionalism, but, but because the way things are going right now, there has to be a church who will get that humble before the Lord and call out for him if we have any hope for the generations to come, if the Lord tarries. My children are going to be the next church leaders of some church. Or they're going to be missionaries. They're going to be somewhere. And my heart breaks knowing that I want them to know what it's like for God to just bring them down, not just their knees, but just bring them down to the most humbling position and cry out before him and spill out everything inside that he may fill them afresh and anew. I think we should uh, take a moment, Ken, if you'll come. Take a moment right now and just begin to speak to the Lord and just quietly speak to the Lord. And have that conversation. God, again, here we are. Almost like it's different passages, but the same thing is being said. And God, maybe it's not that pastor doesn't know how to preach anything else maybe it's just that just like the children of Israel he said repetition write it on the back of your hands write it everywhere tell them about it keep keep speaking the truth and love that, that maybe we'll come to a point of repentance and say Lord somewhere I'm serving you I'm doing the stuff God I'm I'm trying to be active and help but it, it, all those things I'm doing God doesn't replace the fact that I need deep communion with you every day where where you break my heart and you bring me to tears God of all your goodness and all the things you want to do in me that literally I'm weeping before you God that that you you will protect my heart from becoming hardened by the things around me and God that you'll bring me to that point of a childlike faith Lord that you'll bring me back to the the innocence of my youth Lord and my heart that I can once again breathe Lord with all the pressures and all the things in life that have happened Lord the whirlwind and Lord waking up one day later and it seemed like just a day later and I'm here I am an adult with all the heaviness and the burdens that I carry and I smile and say yes I'm giving it to God but truly I still wear it I still have it heavy in my heart God said I brought you up in my word for a purpose I've put you around the people. I've put you around for a purpose. I have a throne that I want to set you on, not for prestige and power, but because I want to give you authority to change this world. And you can't do it being beat down and letting the enemy win. You've got to be able to be set free of all those things that hinder you. You've got to tear down all the high places. And whatever it is, you've got to tear it down. Let me write a different ending for you than Joash. Let me write an ending that is Christ-like, like my son, the one, the Savior. Let me 
draw you closer to him and make you more like him. Jesus, we just come to you right now, Lord, and ask, God, that you move on our hearts, that, God, no one stay still when you prompt them to move, that no one, Lord, resist the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, that they are willing to be broken before you, that not just to be broken, but, Lord, for you to put them back together the way you created them to be and to fill them to overflowing, Spirit. If you're here this morning and you need time in the altars, I know it's first service, and I know that second service comes around, but there is always time. There is always time. And services are adjusted to the Lord, not the other way around. So if it's finding a place of prayer, or if you need to go home and get rid of things, or you need to go home and begin to plan about the things that you're going to tear down, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do at this point, this is the formal dismissal at least from the message. I pray that buries in your heart and that moves you to action. In Jesus' name. Amen. Surround.